someone jumped on our forum today and they were asking a question about their children. They have some teenagers, they're growing them up and they're releasing them into the world, but all things are not well inside their home. This forum responder has been on our website before. Very thankful for him. Glad that he comes to our ministry and he looks for some guidance. We enjoy doing that. But I was thinking, well, this is a parenting problem that he has. And again, I appreciate him asking and seeking help through us, but it's also something that's common to so many people. If you have children, you have parenting problems, you have parenting issues, goals, aims, aspirations for your children, and none of us feel like we're doing it well, and we're always looking for help. And well, I I want to provide that in this podcast. And so I wrote this article for my friend, our forum responder, but it's really for you and is for me as well. So I trust that this will be be beneficial for you. One of the essential goals of parenting is the practice of releasing your children to the culture where they will eventually live. When our children come into the world, you start that practice at that point of releasing them because you know ultimately there will come a day when that child is 18, 20, 21, 25, however old that uh, kid may be, but there will come a time when he or she will leave the home for the last time as far as going out and setting up their own place. And so part of parenting, a huge part of parenting, is releasing the children into the culture where they will eventually live. And so part of this process is for them what you want is your children to live less under the governance of the parents' rules and more under God's authority. And that is the big goal. You set up your authority structure within your home, but this process of releasing the children means that your rules, uh, your authority over them will begin to shrink in their lives as something or, or another authority begins to increase in their lives. And of course, as Christians, we won't As our rules and authority diminish in their lives, we want God's authority to be the dominating theme in their lives. And so as these children leave the parents' protective care, hopefully, prayerfully, what you want is they come up under the Lord's. Now, the big question, knowing how to assist the children in this transition is vital. And so I want to talk about that in this podcast. The title of the podcast is Vital Teaching for Releasing Your Children to the World. Hello, everyone. This is Rick Thomas. You're listening to Your Daily Drive. And if you want to read this podcast, I want you to. And as always, you must share it with 1,000 of your closest friends. And so please share this article, share this podcast with your friends, especially your parenting friends, because they may not be asking for it, but they won't help too. And I trust that this will be a ben- beneficial for them. And then you can do what my friend has done. You can jump on our free community forum provided for you by those who support our ministry. John, thank you so much for your kind gift today. It is quite remarkable, and you are releasing us to help many like this 
man who came to our forum and asked a question, and those who will come as they seek help in their parenting. If you have not written a review for our podcast, please do that on the platform that you listen to. Stop the podcast right now and give us a five-star review. If you can't do that, uh, then let us know why our podcast is not worth five stars, and then maybe we could do some things to change it. All right, here we go. Vital teaching for releasing your children to the world. Gospel-centered, gospel-motivating parenting is a slow-release process of your children. You want them to gradually move away from your rules, your expectations, your authority, and you hope that they will embrace the governing dynamics of Christ, which will provide them with the purest and most potent freedom and life experience. I know many people, especially non-Christians, will poo-poo that thought, but the most potent freedom and the purest form of freedom that you will ever experience is to submit yourself to the governing dynamics of Christ. That is your best life experience. There's no such thing as independence. There's no such thing as self-reliance as far as technically speaking is concerned. We might think that we're independent. We might think that we're self-reliant, but in actuality, nobody is. We are all serving somebody. Bob Dylan and got it right. You got to serve somebody. And so we have to live within structure and under authority. And so you have to choose who you're going to submit to, who's going to be the authority in your life. And I am saying that the purest and most potent freedom and life experience that you will ever have is when you embrace and submit yourself to the governing dynamics of Christ. And so what a parent wants to do is let them children know that, hey, you know, we've been the authority in your life, but we we, we pale in comparison of what Christ's authority uh, can do for you. And so the question becomes how to release a child to live in God's world. That's every parent's, uh, Christian parent's concern, and that is their question. question. Now, fortunately, when Jesus talked about our ultimate aims and competing priorities— Well, he answered the question, what is the most vital thing we can do? I'm going to put this in a parenting context because it applies to parenting. It applies to all of life. But we have ultimate aims and we have competing priorities. And when parents think about their ultimate aims and competing priorities, it can feel like a bag of marbles. There's so many things that I have to think about. There's so many things that I want to do. I can't keep it all together as far as what what I want to do for my children, how I want to parent my children. There's a list of things. Well, we're going to simplify that. Listen to the conversation of Jesus in Matthew 22. He goes like this, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he, Jesus, said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. All the bag of marbles hang on these two hooks. Love God, love others. In a sense, parenting is not 
rocket science. There are only two things that children need to master. Four words, love God, love others. Love God and others most of all. If your children's hearts are motivated by and governed by these two truths, and if you have helped them to embrace this kind of affection for God and their neighbors, you have served them well as a parent. When they love God and others more than themselves, they will experience a richness found in God alone, treasures that no list, no code of conduct, no religious system could ever provide for them. This perspective is it's not so much about rules as it is a worldview, an attitude. It is a worldview that bleeds into their attitudes and pours out into their behaviors. Think about this parenting concept for a moment, loving God and loving others. Living under God's authority with a vibrant love for him because of what he did through the gospel, it is God-glorifying, it is soul-satisfying, and it is neighbor-affecting. And though there are other things you want your children to know, these two, four words, love God, love others, they're at the top of the mountain. The coolest thing about the two great commandments is that there are only two of them. Jesus was keeping it simple for us, simple people. Too many rules, too many lists, too many preferences, too many competing priorities. Well, it makes one's head swim. The rule-based life is a yoke of slavery. For those who have tried that, I was one of those peoples once upon a time, and perhaps you were too. We get that a lot. Folks that come to our ministry who have lived the rule-based life, and it's just not a sustainable way to live. There are two outcomes for those who try to live a rule-oriented life. The first group, what they do is they whittle their life down to a list of behaviors that permit them to live within their closed rule-based system. And so they figure out what the rules are going to be, and they whittle it down to something that they can manage. We're talking about legalism here, and they live within that closed ecosystem of everybody following these rules. How awkward, how suffocating, how smothering. You can't live that way. And then there's, well, you can, but it's just a weird kind of life. And then there's a second group of law keepers, and these are the ones who can't live that way. Eventually, they tire of the process. They throw the rules out the window. I've seen both of these things happen in the lives of too many of my friends, those who have whittled their life down to a closed legalistic ecosystem and live that kind of odd life. And then you have the others who they make the grace mistake. They shoot out of that life like they've been shot out of a cannon, and they go all the way over the gospel and land in grace, 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 which I'm interpreting here as you can live any way you want to live. Holiness doesn't matter. And don't tell me, don't talk to me about obedience. Well, the Lord has only two rules for you to teach your children, just two 
That's it. And if they embrace them, love God, love others, everything else in their lives will fall into its proper place. Love God and love your neighbor. Let the Lord's all-time top two be the most important gifts that you give your children. And though you want to teach your children to behave well, what I'm suggesting here has less to do with their behaviors and more to do with their attitudes. You cannot love God and love others more than yourself if the gospel has not transformed your heart first. And so you want to make sure you don't want to fall into the legalistic trap of just teaching them a bunch of behaviors of what you think loving God and loving others mean. No, you want to target the heart. You want to focus on the child's heart and make that your primary aim because all behaviors flow from a person's heart. Isn't that true for you? Think about your heart. Or think about your attitude about God and how your attitude about God determines how you respond to him. Your, your behaviors flow from your heart. Your attitude about God determines how you respond to him. Think about your attitude toward anyone. Name a person. Pick a person. Whether you like that person or not, maybe it's a neighbor, maybe it's somebody in the church. Somebody in the, let's, say, let's say there's somebody in the church you don't like. Your attitude will affect your behaviors. Whatever your view is toward that person, your responses will flow from that attitude. Even if you try to mask it and hide it and pretend that you like the person, people know that there's something wrong because you ultimately you can't mask a bad attitude. And that's why you want to address the person's heart first, primarily, more than the behaviors Let's say that your child loves God and others more than anything else. Think about how much that kind of heart disposition will set them up for the best possible kind of life. They may not get all the perks of this world. They may not meet all of your preferences that you have for them. And you can admit that it's true. Too many parents do try to shape their preferences over their children. There is a way that children should go, and you want to train them in that way. Some parents, they have a way that they think their children should go, and they try to uh, engineer them in that way, force them in that way. No, don't, don't, don't do that. What you want to do is try to parent best you can, cooperate with God, helping that child to love God and love others more than anything else. And they may not get all the perks of the world, and they may not meet your preferences, but you will be pleased knowing that their love for God, their love for others, provides them the best possible shot at living well. In God's world. Now, I trust that I have convinced you that loving God and others is the best possible end game for your children. And if that's true, let's move on to how you can motivate your child toward that right end. How do you, as a parent, cooperate with God in helping your child have a Godward and others centered mindset? Now, of course, you must begin with the gospel because its purpose is to bring transformation, to change a person. And so when you think about parenting, you always start with the gospel. Christ came to earth to die on a cross because he hopes to change us from bad people to good ones. Your responsibility is to cooperate with the Lord in helping your children transform 
When a child goes from a self-lover to a God and other-centered lover, you will have reached your most cherished parenting aim. What you must do is evaluate your parenting process to see if what you're doing facilitates this righteous aim in your child's life. Now, per chance, there is something that you're doing that does not foster a love for God and a love for others in your child's heart, then you want to discard that. And I hope that you'll be able to identify some of those things as I move further along in this podcast. Your child's righteousness must go deeper than that of the Pharisees. Jesus talked about that in Matthew 5, 20. He says, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And what he's talking about here, about exceeding, he's talking about it going deeper, going, well, going to the heart to a transformative level. The Pharisees did not have a deep righteousness. They had an external behavioristic righteousness. And so your child, like you and like me, needs Christ, and that's why Christ came. Your child needs the alien righteousness of Jesus, which is better than the law's righteousness, what the Pharisees had. And so the first step in gospel-centered parenting is for your child to be born again. Of course, that is not something that parents can do. Only the Lord grants repentance. At best, you can point your child to the gospel while pleading with your child, pleading with God, rather, to engage your child's heart for this initial and essential first step. Your dependence on the Lord does not mean you have nothing to do. And so as I say that you can't grant repentance to your child, you can't make your child born again, but you also, it doesn't mean that you sit on the sidelines while you're waiting for your child to become a Christian. You do have something to do. There are two ways you can cooperate with the Lord in this redemptive narrative. Number one, you can imitate a gospel life before your child so they can gain a vision for the Christ-like life. And so as you're waiting on your child to become a Christian, you can imitate the gospel before that child so they can visually see what the Christian life looks like. You want people to see a visual representation of Jesus Christ in your living room, in your kitchen, in your garage, in your car on the way to the church meeting on Sunday morning. The way that you give your child a visual representation of Jesus Christ is you imitate the Christ life before your child. And so while you're waiting on your child to be born again, you go ahead and imitate. You model the life of Christ. And then along with a visual picture of what the practical Jesus looks like in your life, you also want to teach them how to follow you as you follow Christ. And so as you're waiting, pleading with God to do a work in this child's heart, you want to go ahead and imitate the practical life of Christ, and you want to teach the practical life of Christ. One of the most significant mistakes that a parent will make is not living for Christ while expecting or demanding that their children do. Will you take a moment like right now and think about how you communicate to your child 
do you are you doing what I was just saying earlier? Are you giving them a visual representation of what the practical life of Christ looks like through your example? When they see you, when your child sees you, are they seeing the practical life of Christ acted out day by day? This is a huge mistake that some parents make. And then they'll not only mar the image of Christ by not imitating him practically, but then they will compound the problem by demanding or expecting their children to be righteous. How awful, how awkward, but how awful is that for a parent to be demanding or expecting a child to live for Christ when they are not? If a child in this type of home refuses to walk with the Lord, the parent becomes an accessory to the crime. Now, ultimately, it's the child's decision, and it's the child's fault if he rejects God. But the parent is an unnecessary and complicated problem. I cannot make my appeals any stronger. And, and let's say that, well, you say imitate Christ. Well, I can't do that perfectly. I didn't say that. I said imitate Christ. And as you do that, you will make mistakes. Well, praise God for your mistakes because even your failures become excellent training opportunities because you can show your children how to change. Some parents see their mistakes as hindrances to the Christ-like advancement of their children. They only become hindrances. They only get in the way if the parent never repents. Your child will make many mistakes as an adult. Your child's going to make mistakes just like you do. What better gift could you give your child than to teach him how to own the mistakes that he makes by confessing and reconciling with those that he has offended? And so when I talk about this idea of follow me as I follow Christ, I most assuredly mean that you include your mistakes, your missteps, your failures, and your sins. Because as you follow Christ, as you tell your child to follow me as I follow Christ, you're not going to do it perfectly. But you want to take every failure, you want to take your sin, flip it on his head, and repent. And in that way, you're teaching your child one of the most valuable things that they will ever learn, how to fix their mistakes, how to act out, how to walk out repentance. Because when they do leave the home and they're living up under God's authority, guess what? They're going to be failures just like we are. And so your mistakes become redemptive opportunities in the children's lives. So let's review the essential points thus far. At the top of this list is understanding and resting in the knowledge that only God can change anyone. Your job is to water and plant. You cannot make your child grow, but this truth is not a call to passivity. You are to water and plant, but you must not cross that line by manipulating change in your child. The life-sustaining change that you want will only come after God saves the kid. You must be born again. And while you're waiting on God to regenerate, you want to keep on parenting the practical Jesus into their lives. The hand may not be in the glove at this point. The glove is Christ. The hand is your child, and your child has not come up into Christ at this point. 
but you want to parent as you wait for the child to fit himself into Christ. You live and you teach the life of Christ while you wait on the child to get into Christ. You don't want to wait for post-salvation and then you begin teaching your child how to be a Christian. No, do it now. Then should God regenerate him or her, you'll have a head start on what it means to be a Christian. The title of this podcast is Vital Teaching for Releasing Your Children to the World. And now I want to get into the hard part. As you are waiting on your child to love God and others with all his heart, which begins at salvation, there are some things you can do to model the practical gospel of Jesus to him or to them if you have more than one child. I want to give you five things that you can start doing today. This is your part. This is what watering and planting will do. And so as you're teaching your child how to love God and love others more than anything else, here are five critical, non-negotiable teaching tools that you want to implement today. They are humility. They're in this order. Well, kind of. Humility, gratitude, kindness, serving, and repentance. These are five critical teaching tools that you want to use to help your child to love God and to love others most of all. Let's take the first one, humility. Humility is the initial heart response from any person who is rightly affected by the gospel. If you are rightly affected by the gospel, meaning you understand God the Father executed his one and only son on a cruel cross to have a relationship with him, if you truly understand this gospel truth, oh, you have to be broken and humbled. Humility should be how others characterize you. And so when I talk about imitating, modeling the practical life of Christ, you want to start with humility. Here's a question for you. Would your child say that you're a humble person? Would your child say that you are a humble person? I'm not asking if you are perfect, because we know that's not true, but humble. Are your children regularly observing your humility, born out of a heart that has been transformed by the gospel? Now, perhaps you want to have this conversation with your children, with your child, it would be huge. You don't want to skip this link in the chain and, and jump all the way over to expecting your child to be righteous, expecting your child to do right, expecting your child to follow God, expecting your child to do whatever it is that you expect your child to do. And you're not this. You're not living out humility. I'm not talking about, not talking about perfection because even, again, going back to your mistakes, you can model humility in your mistakes by owning them. Again, sin is not a negative for those who love God, because we, we have the power resident within us to change. And so we can use our sins redemptively. And so here's a, t- a tool to help your child, and that is humility, a parenting tool. Number two is gratitude. Gratitude is what flows from a humble heart. One of the ways that you can measure your humility is by your gratitude. The more a gospel-centered person grows in his awareness of what Jesus did on the cross— the more he will be compelled to be grateful for all things. Gratitude is the immediate and intuitive response of a humble person. Question for you. 
Are you characterized as a grateful person? Are your children regularly experiencing your gratitude, born out of a humble heart that has been transformed by the gospel? Expecting or demanding children to be like Christ when you're not like Christ, well, it's hypocritical, but it's more than that. It binds them up. It twists them up. It complicates their lives. You become an accessory to the crime. And so assess yourself with this parenting tool. How are you walking out humility to its gratitude? Does gratitude flow off your lips? Number three is kindness. Kindness is what led to your repentance. Paul talks about this in Romans 2, 4. The, kind, uh, the gospel is the kindness of the Lord. The Christian who has been, one, humbled by the gospel's power is, two, a grateful person. He will be illuminated and led by the Spirit of God to demonstrate a similar kind of kindness to others. Kindness begets kindness. Here's a question for you. Are you characterized as a kind person? Are your children regularly experiencing your kindness, which is born out of a desire to show them a similar type of mercy that the Lord has given to you? For time's sake, I need to move along. Number four is serving Serving is why the Savior came to our planet. The most profound way that he served us was by giving his life for a ransom for us. Serving is what gospel-centered people do. Are you characterized as a servant? And then finally, number five, repentance. Well, that's at the top of every Christian's to-do list because we are imperfect daily. Mercifully, we are the only people group in the world who can repent. It is a gift because of the gospel. Sin does not discourage us because of the gospel. We know that we cannot be completely free from all our sins, but we have the gospel. Gospel Gospel-centered parents love and practice repentance before their children because they can. And so here are five tools, humility, gratitude, kindness, serving, repentance. This is how you can cooperate with the Lord as you're transitioning your children from loving you to loving God and loving others most of all. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast.